Welcome to Analytics for Society, the podcast where we discuss how technology can help impact a better tomorrow. I'm your host, Jörn Seglem, Managing Director in SAS Institute. Today's discussion on how to foster an innovative work culture was an inspiring conversation and aftertalk that I had with Tone Villa, CEO in Boston, and Daniel Sirai, CEO in Ubus, as part of Oslo Business Forum's online bootcamp 2021. I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jon Seglem, Managing Director in SAS Institute Norway. I have the honor of hosting today's After Talk, discussing how to foster an innovative work culture. With me, I have two very inspiring guests from two very innovative companies. We have Tone Villa, who joined Norwegian Post in 2006 and has held the position of CEO since 2016. And with Posten being awarded Norway's most innovative company in 2019 and the second most in 2020, I'm really looking forward to your perspectives. Mm-hmm. We also have Daniel Sirai, CEO of Ubus, one of the largest housing entrepreneurs and developers in the Nordics. After 11 years in the company, you took on the CEO position in 2015, following a CEO that had been sitting there for 32 years. And you have not only made your mark on Ubus already, but also on the ecosystem around you. So a warm welcome to both of you. Before we start the conversation, I want to share three key reflections from today. Paul Polman is clear. Transformational change needs to be led from the top. But not only with the brain, also with the heart, especially in these volatile times. Lisa Budella has given us actionable insights into starting change, and her view is also clear. Kill the company. Simple wins. And Seth Godin has made us not forget that soft innovations are clever, insightful, useful, small ideas that just about anyone in an organization can think up. Soft innovations can make your product into a purple cow. They can make it remarkable. So how can we as leaders foster this innovative work culture and ensure that innovative ideas are created, cultivated, validated and realized? Tuna, let's start with the conference today. Paul Polman had a statement, transformational change needs to be led from the top. Is that your experience as well? And, and if so, how, how do you balance this involved leadership with empowerment in the organization? Thank you, Jörn. And first, thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. Um, yes, that's my experience too. It has to start at the top, uh, which obviously means it has to start with me, but it also has to start with the team around me. I think it's important to have a uh, in the management team a common understanding of why we want this change. Uh, it's important to have the team with you. There will always be some people who are against the change, and it's important that we can all sort of um, uh, get our the whole organization on board. Uh, Poston has been through a huge restructuring over the past 20 years, and I think some of the key success factors have been that we have had a common understanding of why it was necessary. Mm. So I think it has to start there. I think uh, he also has a, a very a good point in, in sort of leading with the heart. I've noticed uh, that when I talk about uh, sustainability, climate change, our role in, in sort of combating that, it creates a lot of internal engagement and proudness. Mm. So, yes, it has to start at the top. And then I think it's a, it's a responsibility for me and the management team to set direction. We have to set some goals. We have to have some ambitions. Uh, then we have to get the whole team on board and sort of create that understanding in the whole organization. And then it's important to give the, the, the organization the, the freedom to find out how, how to get there. 
Uh, I think that's very important. And I know that's been a topic earlier today. How do you sort of kill the bureaucracy? And I'm, I'm afraid we still have too many levels in our organization as well. But I think we've made some progress, actually, in uh, in empowering the organization to make decisions. It has to be within a certain framework, mm. uh, obviously. But uh Setting clear targets and empowering and trusting, I think. Mm. Trust is an important uh, element of that. Yeah, I think trust is a very, uh, very key thing there. And how about you, Daniel? Uh, if I turn to you, what's innovation to you? Are you most triggered on game-changing disruptions or more the softer, smaller, innovative ideas? I think you have to work um, on both levels because when you're an industry leader... Uh, you always, like we are, and uh, like Postnar in their area, you have to explore those big game changers. Like when we put uh, put in place a new strategy, when I took over as the CEO, we had a very thorough uh, process where we empowered our over 2,000 employees. We, it wasn't made from the boardroom or the or the management committee. It, we took on the, the entire organization and we put in place some of those values. And one of those things that are still with us is on in the top corner of our strategy map is what we call the next big thing. Mm. It's, it's all about just that signal effect of saying we are always chasing something big. And that big thing can be a very big thing for the company itself, but can also be a very small thing in a small subdivision. So talking about those big ideas, but at the same time, never stop having those soft innovations because those soft innovations are actually what is changing a lot in an organization. Those big ideas takes a lot of time, a lot of people, it costs a lot of money, and there's also kind of more more a risk of failure. But those small are not so, not so difficult to do if you build a culture that thrives on, on doing all those Mm. small changes mm. so you're also known for being an authentic leader you know and you're like unafraid and and you know like uh, we talked a bit before we went on as well so how important is bringing the heart into leadership to you i think i think that's who i am so i have to be very honest about myself i am enthusiastic i'm curious mm. um i like meeting new people i like meeting new ideas mm. and when you as a leader uh, have those kind of values, it transform into the organization itself. You can't have clones of yourself all over the place because everybody can't be like me. But but I think that's really important to be authentic. And I think that cu- curiosity is what has m- changed our organization more uh, more than anything else. Curious about th- that little idea that has a little seed of something big mm-hmm. to how can we make that idea grow mm-hmm. and change this big I, I i compare us with a carrier group mm. where you have an aircraft carrier that is steaming ahead and you have all those small ships and submarines going all over the place doing those small jobs that the big carrier can do it on its own and that's mm. what we try to do mm. just picking mm. up the curiosity thing with yeah. you as well Tony, you and you know norwegian post has been innovating for hundreds of years yeah. you talked about that earlier in our other podcasts <clears throat> how important is curiosity to you and you know how do you how do you cultivate that in the organization i think it's very important uh, we we have to be curious and we have to encourage the curiosity as daniel says and 
And I think it's part of building a culture where it's it's uh, we have to try and fail. We have to have a dialogue with our customers. We have to try new concepts. We have to and we have to fail. We have to be willing to f- to kill our darlings if it doesn't work. Uh, but but I think instigating that sort of curiosity as a part of the culture is important. Mm. We've, mm. we've historically we we have worked a lot with the lean methodology where you you have to ask the five whys to find the the, the, the root of the problem. That's that's sort of a different angle I think. But but still it's it's about asking questions and, and not least listening to the answers. Mm. Uh, so I think curiosity is even more important and we mm. have to understand what what do the customers actually want mm. and we have to dare to ask those questions. Mm. So, a great yeah. example. Mm. So let's dig a bit more into that. We, we all know kind of like the new normal is disruption and constant change. And I just found a fantastic quote, I think, by Jack Welsh. If, if the rate of change on the outside exceeds mm. that of rate of change on the inside, mm. the end is near. Yeah. And uh, if I go back to you, Tuna, and mm. the Norwegian Post, and, you know, no competitors maybe 20 years mm. ago, or at least very few, mm. and to now a lot of disruptors entering or trying to enter even mm. your core markets, at the same time you have been launching a lot of new services. We talked about that before mm. on stage as well. Amoy, I was served mm. dinner from Amoy, yeah, yeah. one of the restaurants good, in Amoy. Good. You know, <laughs> fantastic experience, yeah. uh, recommended. Yeah. Uh, how do you do that? How do you take all this innovation out in Boston? Yeah. First, it's interesting that you use that quote because I used that at our annual management conference actually a couple of years ago mm. because we've been through a massive change in Boston. We've lost uh, 75% of the mail volume since year 2000. So we really had to restructure and downsize and at the same time build up a new logistics mm. business, which now accounts for some two-thirds of our, uh, three-fourths actually of our business. Um, and we had a very good result last year. We still have good results. Uh, e-commerce is uh, thriving under mm. the pandemic. So uh, some people ask, why, 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 is th- is, why is it so urgent mm. at this moment when the results are so good? And, and I've, so I've used that quote actually myself because mm. we are now in a very competitive uh, market with a lot of disruptive uh, competitors, a lot of new business models, uh, etc. And, and if we're going to stay relevant in the future, we really need to, uh, to keep up the, the speed mm. and innovate. So, so I, so I really like that quote, mm, mm. <laughs> and I think um, uh, it helps create some sense of urgency. It's, uh, uh, I think, one of the success factors for Poston has been that we have made the restructurings in time, and we need to do that going forward as well. I guess if you if you draw the parallel to sailing, for instance, you need to change the course when you still have the wind to maneuver, mm. to have the speed to maneuver. If you wait until the evening and the wind is gone, it's very hard to get where you want to go. Mm. And I think that applies for us in organization as well. And then to how we actually do the innovation. I think it's important to work gradually. It takes time to change the culture in a big organization, but to, to let ideas uh, come up, uh, let people try and fail, as I said, uh, you mentioned the Amoy case, which is a, a local marketplace uh, catering uh, in, in the Oslo area and also now in Stockholm, catering to sort of a bit high-end uh, food, mm. gro- uh, groceries. Um, the idea actually came from one of our management team rem- members who's been traveling in Latin America a lot. And he had seen this concept in Colombia, of all places, with the sort of the city as a warehouse. And he said, why, why don't we try that? And and uh, I guess the initial reaction was like, hmm, are we sure, will this work in Oslo? <laughs> and then we said, okay, we dedicate uh, some money and a team and, and let them explore and, and see if they can find their way. Mm. We had a good discussion with our board who gave us some very good uh, feedback and, and input. And, 
And then we launched it in April or maybe May last year, which was mm. a good timing, obviously. But I think you have to let those ideas uh, come up to the surface and you have to find the right talent and the right people to let them try mm. within a certain framework. I think it's a fantastic uh, example and also how the idea uh, yeah, know, originated yeah, yeah. From, the, from a trip to Latin America. <laughs> it needed a little bit of time to uh, to, to <laughs> let that mature, but uh, uh, it was a good idea. Yeah, Fantastic. And Ubus is doing a lot of uh, great stuff and innovative stuff as well, uh, Daniel. Uh, and you're also doing things in the ecosystem sphere, you know, around collaborations like Construction City and housing concepts such as Ubus DLA. How has kind of like the new market expectations impacted your culture and, and how you work with employees? I think what we try to do is see what are the fundamentals that we have to solve. And our main goal is to give our members a new home and mm. enable them to own their own home. And so, so our first priority when it comes to innovation is actually how do you do that in the future? Mm. When, when we see there is a huge gap between those who have and those who don't, don't have the ability. Uh, we, we did a survey of, of the statistics of the Oslo area and we saw in 2040, 40, uh, 50% of the first-time buyers would be from minority background. And it's a very easy equation to see that that customer group doesn't have the same ability to enter into the market as Norwegians who have completely uh, Norwegian parents with that huge wallet uh, taken through the entire after-war time. So we had to solve how we enable them to come into the market. So we started dipping into different kind of business models and we developed two that are actually, we have scaled a lot. Mm. This year we're, we put a, already put into the market 600 units in two years and now this year alone our ambition is to add another seven to eight hundred units mm. so that's the, the big picture and then you have to but in other aspects this problem we could solve on our own but on those smaller scales like on the technology side we're not a technology company like some somebody said this huge bank in norway who is now buying we're a technology company mm. uh, we're not a technology company uh we need a technology company to help us solve. So we entered into collaboration with Unlock, a small company solving the doors into our apartment building instead of trying to build our own digital lock. We've worked with Spacemaker, who uses AI to, to, to further and strengthen our project management and project development side because we couldn't build this digital solution ourselves. So, And to tap into the ecosystem around us and help... And we could share like Spacemaker. They were a very young company trying to say, we have this bright idea. And we said, we have those really bright project developers. Mm. So let them help you develop your product. Mm. And so mm. through this time, we co-created this product that now was bought for billions of Norwegian kroners to a U.S. company. Mm. So mm. it's all about sharing. Because if you share, mm. you will get more. Yeah. And... Uh, you have to put the money where your mouth is. So we invest on many of those companies in order to really prove to the ecosystem around that we really believe in this idea. Mm. So we both use them and we put our money into it and we try to help others solve our problems, basically. Mm. I think it's a great example, again, because it's uh, also touched upon earlier in the conference, the partnership aspect, you know, like looking outside. Mm. We're, we, it's so easy to, to kind of protect your own best yeah. ideas mm. every mm. time because mm. it's our competitive advantage. I think our competitive advantage is actually 
being in an ecosystem mm. and being open to the ecosystem because we you get all those kind of ideas you you could never dream about mm. in a huge corporation mm. <laughs> because those those ideas die in the bureaucracy but mm. if you have those young companies coming we mm. can solve this problem for you this good idea bad idea but but a seed of something good mm. Mm. i think if you go back to you tunan but you you have organized innovation as a separate unit you know like beside the line organization and we had an example now with amoy as well which is an ecosystem play mm. as well you know where mm. you connect great restaurants mm. to you know uh, people that want mm. to buy good food <coughs> so how do you view kind of like you know the reasoning for putting innovation mm. as as a separate yeah. unit you know <coughs> Strategic thinking behind that? Any learnings? Yeah, um, uh, definitely there are learnings. Uh, mm. We did that, or I did that fairly quickly after I took over as CEO. And that was, I mean, an organization is a sort of a means to, to get to a goal. It's not mm. a goal in itself. And, and the purpose of this was to, one, we needed to attract some, uh, some uh, talent in the technolo- te- technology space, uh, user experience, uh, business developers, uh, mm. tech people. And also, I wanted to have an environment that had actually sort of had the capacity, if you want, to to uh, to understand technology, to understand what technology could do for us uh, as an enabler, um, without being sort of bogged down in everyday uh, mm. operational stuff. Mm. And I think uh, that that has been a success. Uh, I'll come back to the learnings, but I think they've done a super job in many ways. Uh, They also imp- uh, sort of devised a methodology uh, for uh, development activities based on uh, Google Design Sprints, uh, Lean Startup, etc., and, and made it to sort of our methodology, which starts with that uh, try and fail, explore with the customer phase. Uh, but of course, such a unit will not work unless it can work well together with the other business units, and. Uh, which has been a challenge in some uh, in some cases and not not always but in some cases you really need to, to manage to sort of establish those truly cross-functional teams to get alignment of the goals across the silos etc to get sort of rid of not invented here uh, syndrome mm. uh, so that has been a, a journey which has been in some cases a bit difficult Uh, but I have to say, we, we would not have been able to do a number of those innovations if we didn't have that team. However, they wouldn't have been able to do it alone. So we wouldn't have been able to do it unless they had worked well together with the the people knowing our basic services, our operations. Uh, I mean, Amoy is one example. That is sort of a little bit on the side of our core business. We did, uh, when the pandemic hit a year ago, we mobilized a small cross-functional team to look into what can we do more at this stage. And, mm. and that resulted in a number of initiatives. One of them was to launch together with Coop, the, re- the grocery chain, Uh, nationwide home delivery of um, food using our entire network. Mm. And that was really a massive uh, planning operation and we did that in six weeks. And that was only possible because we had the digital innovation unit, we had the salespeople, we had the the product owners, Mm. we had the operational people, IT, etc., and everyone on board. And not least the the um, the drivers and the mailmen who were actually going to do this they had to learn this on their digital uh, device so it's only possible if you can get that cooperation to work and uh, uh, so at this point in time I think it's the right structure who knows in the future mm. uh, we'll see I think it's a gr- fantastic example to as well I have to credit that you know for leading from the top you know like because you need you need to lead that you know to make all the pieces work together yeah. and you need to be uh, so you need to sort of um, 
stay by your decisions, mm. at least for a while, <laughs> and see if they work. And sometimes yeah. you end up finding out that you should have done things a bit differently. Mm. And I guess one thing that I wish I understood a bit earlier here is how much this sort of agile, cross-functional way of working mm -hmm. also impacts the leadership role. It mm. impacts our governance system, uh, how we make capital allocation decisions, etc. So now we're in the process to sort of figure out what that actually means mm. on, the, on the bigger scale. So mm. uh, uh, that's one thing I wish I'd realized earlier, mm. but um, so far so good. Mm. Just to touch a bit back with you as well, Daniel, on the, because you mentioned a bit earlier, you know, that the, in, in some years, you know, the, new, the people that will own new ho homes are from minority groups or a larger part are from. So the, the mixture of purpose and business model. Mm. And how do you how do you see that in terms of Ubus? You I know? think I think I would say that's a core value, and that's what make the most people in our organization proud mm. is that they work somewhere with a purpose. Mm. Uh, and it, I go back to when we did our strategy process, 2015, 2016. We wanted to create a new vision that everybody could could relate to, and this purpose aspect to build the society of tomorrow actually was created from our people, our organization. It was not my idea. Mm. I was very simple. I had a complete entire <laughs> different idea for, for our vision. Mm. It came from the organization, mm. this very strong purpose to change the world. And to me personally, it was what I was brought up with. What I dreamt about as a teenager was to change the world. Mm. Uh, and now I'm sitting here with an organization where... where most people who work with us, that's what drives them. What comes, that's why mm. they, mm. When, when we have an apprentice program this summer, we have 1,500 people applying for it. It's not about, about earning the most money. It's about great projects mm. and being a place mm. with a purpose. Mm. So, and we have to continue to build on that and to really show, not only communicate and tell, but really show that we do make a difference. Mm. 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 I think it's a, yeah, yeah. any reflections from you, Tun, on that? And also maybe yeah. on the trust culture. You yeah. touched upon trust earlier. Yeah. And yeah. No, but I think Daniel is right. We, we've, done, we've been through a similar process and, and also changed our, our, our vision uh, some years ago from being a sort of inside out, becoming the most efficient logistics company to being outside in, seen mm -hmm. from the customer side, where we say we, we should make everyday, everyday life simpler and, uh, and the world smaller for our mm -hmm. customers. Um, I think that we also uh, um, notice exactly the same that you say, Daniel, when when we have applicants for our trainee program, for instance, they a lot of them say that they want to work somewhere with a purpose, mm. that, where they can sort of me make a difference in a company that means something to a lot of people. Uh, the climate thing is very, a climate issue is very important to many. I mean, we're a large transport company. The transport sector is... Uh, is the largest sort of uh, source of uh, emissions in uh, in Norway and in and in the world basically, <laughs> so we're part of the problem, but also part of the solution, and we've done a lot, and that's something that creates a lot of energy. So I think creating that purpose is important, and also to set the direction with some sort of overall goals that uh, mm. people can associate uh, sort of with. We've said that we should be the customer's first choice. We should be leading in technology and innovation, and best on sustainable value creation. Uh, uh, which is enabled by uh, motivated and engaged in this context, like enthusiastic employees. Mm. And that's something that sort of resonates with a lot of people. I noticed that when we talk about it. And, uh, and that, together with sort of the values, uh, core values that we have, seems to give a good sort of direction mm. 
but I think it's important to set those targets. I guess you you get what you measure, and you need to decide what you think success looks like. So, mm. what do you measure people against? But uh, but it's important, and sometimes it's difficult. But it's important to give the freedom and the trust to find a way then to reach that target, and then to follow up along the way, obviously. Mm. Just a personal reflection as well. I think you know the positive friction, the validation, and mm. the you know if you encourage and expect leadership from an organization, you might get it. Mm. Mm. Um, Tun and Daniel, you're both uh, paving the way for innovation that is changing kind of like our lives in Norway to many extent, and you're succeeding. So uh, when we move into a close, what kind of actionable or implementable tips would you give to other leaders who are working to create an innovative work culture? We we'll start with you, mm. Daniel. Any any tips you will want to share? Um, I would say like. If I have a four-step program, I would say like I start by being curious and show it as a leader. The other thing is what I what I communicate. You can't be silent about your curiosity and the need to change. Um, and then you you actually have to sh- put your money where you talk. Mm. So you have to actually implement what you you talk because people th- see through you if you only talk and never do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then because that's about building trust, like you said, Tona, you have to do and you have if you talk about trust, you have to show trust mm-hmm. in action. Mm-hmm. And the fourth aspect is sharing because I think you can't. Ne- you can never be successful as an innovative organization, whether outside your own organization or inside, if you don't share knowledge and are able to share your thoughts with other people. So that's my four very practical tips. Mm. Great. You, Tuna? Yeah, we've been through so many <laughs> things now, I think. But I guess uh, um, I agree with what Daniel said. But but I think as I would think about, I would I would set targets and ambitions and talk about them. Mm. And you have to walk the talk, as Daniel says, and, and people notice what you do. Mm. Um, uh, make sure to have the right leadership team. I mean, you can't do things on your own. You don't get better than you will not, never get any better than the, the people that you have around you. So you have to make sure to have the right team and that they're actually on board and committed to achieving the same thing. And then I think a bit like Daniel said about the curiosity to to be open about me not having all the answers or the senior management doesn't have all the answers. So we really depend on the rest of the organization to find the the, uh, the way forward. Um, and then I guess building the culture, which is a big question, I suppose. But mm-hmm. apart apart from having some of the, that common sort of glue with the purpose and vision and everything, uh, I think allowing the organization to try and fail, like we talked about, and then I guess one issue that I think one of the previous speakers that unfortunately I wasn't able to listen to talked about was simplifying because we are a huge organization. We have simplified a bit, but we have to work smarter going forward Mm. so that we can do things faster. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, And to conclude, I want to leave uh, the audience as well with an African proverb. If you want to go fast, you might go alone. If you want to go far, you you go together. Mm. Tuna and Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for attending this after talk and for sharing your insights on leadership and innovation and also giving advice for how to create an innovative work culture. And I must sincerely say in the end as well, it's been really inspirational to have you as guests. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened in. Remember, data does not drive innovation within organizations. Empowerment, trust and good decisions do. You have been listening to Analytics for Society, a podcast recorded at Oslo Business Forum's online bootcamp 2021. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation.